Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I call for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. There's nothing quite like a life-threatening experience to clarify your thinking. There's nothing like that brush with death to see your life in a whole different light, to see the world in a different light. Uh, There have been plenty of people who face tragedy and disaster and that that's been the defining moment in their life. That's been the thing that has turned them, very often has turned them to God. There was a saying during the Second World War that there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, there was actually a saying back in Jonah's time as well, there are no atheists inside the belly of large fish. We started last week looking at the story of Jonah. He was a prophet uh, to the people of Israel, the northern half of the now divided kingdom. Uh, So Jonah was called by God, but he wasn't called to go and preach to the people of Israel where he was from. He was called to go and preach to the people of Nineveh, uh, the capital city of Assyria, which was the dominant power, the superpower in the world at that time. But instead of going to Nineveh when he was called, Jonah heads off in exactly the opposite direction to try and get as far away as he can from the city of Nineveh. He's heading to Tarshish, which would have been in what we today would call Spain. Now, we don't know at this point why Jonah decided to run. We have to wait until chapter 4 to find out the answer to that question. But he clearly has no interest in being part of God's plan. He has no desire to go to Nineveh and preach to them. And he's trying to flee from God. He ends up inside the belly of this huge fish, a fish that we're told is sent by God and is following a storm that was also sent by God. Now again, this is one of the sticking points for a whole lot of people with the story of Jonah, that they find it hard to believe that you could spend three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. In a sense, it's kind of irrelevant to the story whether or not that did happen or didn't happen. The point of the story remains the same, whether it's a true story or whether it's just a parable that's telling us an important thing about God and God's people. 
Jonah may have wanted nothing to do with God, but he's in the fish now and he's singing a very different story. The first thing he does, if you've got your Bible there, have a look at it right at the beginning of chapter 2, he cries out to the Lord. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the depths of the grave. I called for help and you listened to my cry. Now, hang on a minute. Isn't this the guy who wants nothing to do with God? Isn't this the guy who is fleeing from God? Isn't this the guy who intentionally runs in the opposite direction when God tells him to go to Nineveh? And now he has the gall to call out to God for help. Jonah's the one who's got himself into this position and now he wants God to get him out of it. Well, maybe he's learned his lesson. Maybe he's seen just how wrong he's been. Jonah gives a pretty dramatic account of the things that happened after he was tossed off the ship. You see it starting there in verse number three. It talks about the current swirling around him, the waves breaking over him and the seaweed wrapping around his head and his life ebbing away. Jonah knows that it is God who has put him into the sea and he also knows that he is as good as dead. That's what this, these verses tell us. But God graciously steps in and rescues him with this fish that plucks him out of the depths and Jonah is saved by God. So what are we supposed to make of this? Are we supposed to think that this is, this is a, a, the prayer of a changed man? Should we think that he's sincere with the things that he says? Well, when you look at this chapter by itself, it kind of looks pretty sincere. Um, Jonah makes some pretty profound statements about God. I mean, it kind of looks like the real deal. In fact, it kind of sounds like you're reading from the Psalms. And the things that he says in this prayer sound a lot like what we actually find in the book of Psalms. Uh, here's, a, here's a section from Psalm chapter 18, verses 6 and 7, where the writer says this, In my distress I called to the Lord, I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountains shook. It's funny, when you look through this prayer from Jonah, almost every line of it seems to have come from the Psalms. It seems as though he's quoting a whole bunch of different Psalms and has pieced them together as a kind of prayer. And when you see Jonah's prayer in the context of the whole book, I think you've got to have some doubts about the sincerity of this man. In the second half of the book, you see this prayer in a very, very different light. I once heard someone say that this prayer of Jonah's is, in fact, the second worst prayer in the Bible. They said that the worst prayer is the one that comes from Luke's Gospel. You might know the passage, the Pharisee and the tax collector, who both go up to the temple. This is, this is the, what the passage says. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you, I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
See, the prayer of the Pharisee, I think it definitely does take the prize for the worst prayer in the Bible. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I think Jonah's possibly comes a close second. The prayer of the Pharisee is one of arrogance and self-righteousness. It's not the prayer of someone who's humbling themselves before God, who recognises that God's God and they're not. It's the prayer of someone who's taking God for granted. But I think we see that in Jonah's prayer as well. Have a look at it again, Jonah chapter 2. Did you notice what Jonah doesn't pray in his prayer? He doesn't admit that he's done anything wrong. He doesn't apologise for running away from God. He doesn't say that he's sorry that he's been disobedient. He doesn't acknowledge any wrongdoing in any way. He acknowledges that he's in serious trouble, but blind Freddy knew that he was in serious trouble. He's in the water and he's going to drown. He acknowledges that God's going to be the only one who can save him. But this is actually a prayer that's full of self-righteousness and arrogance as well, isn't it? When you turn to the next two chapters of Jonah, you realise that Jonah doesn't actually believe any of the things that he said in this prayer. What he says may, in fact, be very true, but for Jonah, it's just a bunch of words that he's spouting out. It's just words for Jonah. It seems to mean nothing to him. Have a look in his prayer, Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. To those who cling to worthless idols, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Now, what he says there is 100% true. I'm not going to argue with that. Those who cling to worthless idols do forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Salvation does come from God. But let's be serious. In the context of this book, Jonah doesn't care about the idol-worshipping sailors on the boat when he got on the boat to go to Tarshish. And he clearly doesn't care about the idol-worshipping people in Nineveh. He doesn't even want to go and speak to them. Jonah's prayer might sound right. It might sound like the things to be saying. But he doesn't mean any of this. He's going through the religious motions. Jonah is a desperate man and he'll say whatever he needs to say to get himself out of this predicament. The very last verse of that chapter says, The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. I'm not sure if Jonah's prayer made the fish feel sick or made God feel sick, but either way, he's been vomited up onto the dry land. But I think there's another reason to think that this prayer isn't really genuine. So there's a lesson to be learned from the book of Jonah. This book was originally written for the people of Israel. Jonah was a prophet from Israel, but he was told in this story to go to the people of Nineveh. So the lesson here is actually for the people of Israel, not for the people of Nineveh. The way Jonah is treating God here in this psalm is pretty much exactly the same way that Israel have been treating God. They have no genuine interest in being God's people. They refuse to live as God's people and they're consistently disobedient. But when they find themselves in trouble, what do they do? They cry out to their God for help. They want to start taking God seriously. When they know that they're in trouble, then they want God to help them. They cry out to God for help. As soon as they find themselves drowning, Israel expect God to rescue them. Jonah is kind of a mirror that's being held up to the people of Israel. When they look at Jonah, they see themselves. 
when they see the way that Jonah treats God, they see how they have treated God. I mentioned last week that uh, Jonah is the only prophet that Jesus ever compares himself to, which is quite unbelievable that Jesus would choose this prophet to compare himself to. But the major point of comparison is actually that bit that we've just read today, Jonah spending that time inside the fish. This is what Jesus says in uh, Matthew's Gospel. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet, or the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Big comparison Jesus makes is that whole three days, three nights thing that Jonah was in the belly of the fish, Jesus will be in the belly of the earth. Jonah went through this death and resurrection experience and then takes this message of salvation to the people of Nineveh and they respond. And Jesus is saying that he will die and rise again and through his death and resurrection, the message of forgiveness and life will be preached, not just to Nineveh, but to the whole world. But the, par- the comparison between Jesus and Jonah doesn't end there. The people of Israel in Jonah's day were hard-hearted towards God, not taking God seriously. And Jesus is standing up in front of another bunch of hard-hearted people who are not taking God seriously. The Pharisees and the religious leaders. And again, they should have been living faithfully in their relationship with God. But again, they've drifted away from God. They've become proud and arrogant and self-righteous. And did you see what Jesus says? He says that on the last day, on the day of judgment, the people of Nineveh are going to stand up and condemn you for the way that you've behaved. That's what he says to the religious leaders of his day. The people of Nineveh respond the right way to God. And Jesus is standing before a bunch of people who are refusing to listen to God even when someone greater than Jonah is standing up in front of them. The statement at the end of that prayer really is the high point of the prayer where uh, where Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's the thing that Jonah should have learned from this experience. Salvation comes from God. But he actually already knew that. He knew that salvation comes from God before God called him to go to Nineveh. He knew it when he tried to run away from God. He knew it when he jumped on that ship to go to Tarshish. When Jonah says salvation comes from God, it's not some new thing that he's just figured out. This is something that he's known all along. So what we see in this book is that there's a big difference between knowing something and living something. You might be able to talk the talk like Jonah does in his prayer, but do you walk the walk? 
Jonah knew that salvation comes from God. He knew it, but it didn't stop him running away from God. He knew it, but it doesn't make much difference to his actions and his attitudes. Jonah knew it, but it doesn't stop him wanting to see the people of Nineveh destroyed, as we see in chapter 4. Jonah knew it. He knew that salvation comes from God, but it doesn't stop him being angry with God when God decides to save the Ninevites. So there's a huge difference here between knowing it and living it. And I suppose that's the point that we need to take from this as well. We need to have a look into this mirror. When are the times that we are acting like Jonah? When are the times when we know something, but we actually don't live it out? We can know things as Christians, but fail to let them influence the decision-making in our lives, the choices that we make. There can often be a big gap between what we believe believe and what we live out. We can know that God saves us, but we can sometimes live as though we don't even know God. We can know that God has forgiven us through the death of his son, but we can then sometimes feel like sin doesn't really matter, that it's an insignificant detail in our lives. We can know that salvation comes from God, but we can often be a bit reluctant about talking about that salvation with anyone else. So here's the challenge from Jonah chapter 2. Are you living out what you know and believe as a Christian? Do you think that you're living a life that's consistent with what you say you believe? Jonah's right. Salvation comes from God. Salvation comes through Jesus. And we need to make sure that we don't just believe that, but that that shapes our lives, influences our decisions and moulds us to be the people that God wants us to be.